Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. And I have two phenomenal people with me here today. But before we talk about them, first, I would like to ask everyone that has joined us to please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, press the button, press the the bell, ring the bell, all that good stuff. Make sure you subscribe <laughs> to our YouTube channel. We've been doing amazing. You all have been doing amazing. And uh, we have over a thousand subscribers right now. So we're trying to get to two. So if you can subscribe, that would be phenomenal. Please, while we're doing introductions, please um, let us know where you are listening in from or watching from. Um, so I would like to now introduce my co-host, Chris Fola. Everyone, uh, co-host and absolutely love giving back to this community uh, through coaching, co-hosting, sharing information. And um, as of that, I want to introduce a very special guest, uh, Frank Kim, who is another instructor in the community and has given a lot back in regards to uh, passing that on and teaching the future generation. So, Frank. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here, guys, and excited for the conversation. Excellent. So, Frank, you're, can you introduce, can you tell um, the, the audience some more about what you do? I know you're a top SANS instructor. Um, for folks, because this is typically breaking into cyber, some people here don't even, may not know what SANS is. So if you could give like a short, you know, just introduction as to the courses that you teach and what you do, what you do would be fantastic. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, the SANS Institute is, uh, yeah, I guess I would say one of the leading cybersecurity training organizations. I've been teaching and writing courses with SANS for almost 15 years now. I was the, the CISO at SANS for a, a little bit. And now I, uh, I lead our cybersecurity leadership, our CISO curriculum, as well as our cloud security curriculum, trying to help that next generation of leaders to get where they want to be both professionally, personally, and help their organizations grow. And, uh, you know, in addition to that teaching and the education aspect, you know, I've got, uh, I have my own consulting practice that I uh, help organizations from a consulting and advisory perspective. And I do some uh, startup advising and investing as well. Wow. Uh, how do you find time? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you know, hey, you know, there's that, you know, there's that typical saying, right? When you do what you love, right? Hey, it's just, it just becomes fun, and the time goes by, goes by quick. So yeah, you know, it's I've found over my career that you know, try to keep the main thing, the main thing, right, and focus on on what you love and what's what's interesting and exciting. And you know, hey, it's worked so far, fortunately. Great. That's amazing. Fifteen years of Sands. How old is Sands? <laughs> <laughs> Sans, hey, you never ask a company that question. No. <laughs> hey, that's not normally a polite question, but hey, Sans was started in 1989, 1989. Oh, wow. okay. And, uh, you know, I just want to give a quick shout out to our founder, uh, Alan Poller, who uh, unfortunately passed away uh, this month. And, you know, he had the vision all the way back in 1989 that Sans uh, cybersecurity was going to uh, become something and, and stuck with it all of these years. And, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't be where I am today without, uh, without what, uh, what he got started back in the day. Wow. Um, I know one of the things that we, we recently interacted about uh, prior to the show was 
uh, the, the leadership summit and some of the cool ideas that were exchanged through that. Um, do you want to give a highlight of what that summit was and some of the, the cool uh, takeaways from that? Yeah, yeah, Chris, you know, I know you attended that uh, that summit. You know, it was um, uh, really popular, our uh, cybersecurity leadership summit. And, uh, you know, what we found over the years in the last even five years, handful of years, you've got a lot of people entering security. You've got a lot of people coming in from a technical background. But as they progress in their careers, as the organizations they're at grow, well, there's this need to go beyond those technical skills and make connections with the business, with other C-level executives. And the, uh, the summit was really about, well, what are some of those best practices on structuring your program, building your program, executive communications, communicating with the board, understanding other requirements like privacy, like legal, like those key governance aspects. And what we've also found is there is a, a whole slew of talent that is out there in the marketplace from people from diverse backgrounds and different organizations. And we really saw that highlighted at the at the summit. And had, we had a uh, nearly 4,000, 5,000 people uh, register at any one time. There was 2,000 people um, logged in at any one point in time. So it was, uh, it was great. It was really great to see the, the energy around, uh, around that summit. Yeah, I mean, some of the cool takeaways that, that I like from that summit was um, there were role models and examples of individuals who have broken in from different fields, as well as them sharing their, their own experiences as how they transversed uh, growing in their path to 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 share that example for others, as well as promote um, the ability to look outside uh, for talent. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we had a various discussions. You know, one in particular on uh, building your personal brand, your kind of journey in your career, and kind of kind of in your life. And uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of key lessons there. You know, highly encourage people to go back and and listen to the recording. It's all you know, free and free and online. So. Yeah, if I think back to, to my career, you know, I started as an engineer, as a uh, developer, building systems and, and applications, typing away at my at my desk all day long. And I really didn't think at that time years ago, you know, what's the, the impact that I'm having for, you know, the, the larger team, the larger organization. And as we move forward, you know, the things that we work on touch more and more people. And so there's a there's an opportunity to kind of help that next generation in terms of their journey as well. And that's what we're, we're all trying to do. That's fantastic. And it's it's interesting. Well, somebody asked if it's sans.org. Is that the the um the site? It is, it is sans.org. Yeah. Sans.org. Okay, awesome. Excellent. Um I love to hear that you, you know, where you started from, because I think people, especially when they're breaking in, they see the folks at the top, they see that you've been at the company 15 years. So it's always interesting to hear the entry, like how you be, how, how you got in, how you became um, the cybersecurity you know, leader that you are today, and now advisor and master instructor um, <laughs> that, that you are, giving people so much um, guidance and leadership, and then also doing advising and you know connecting with the C-suite and sitting in a CISO chair. So this is all very very interesting. Um, and I know that our audience would uh, definitely like to hear more. Hey, Renee, I think you're being a little bit, uh, you're going a little bit overboard here, you know, trying to, trying to make me blush. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's you, true. That's what yeah. you're doing. The, uh, you know, starting, starting with my, you know, kind of back in the day, you know, with the various technical, technical roles, you know, I didn't start in security, actually, right? I started more on the development engineering side. And 
as I was working on those various teams, naturally some security issues arose. There was vulnerabilities and there were incidents that needed to be dealt with. And I somehow just got pulled into to working on those. And I said, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. And without even my choosing, I kind of became the person when something bad would happen, the team would say, oh, well, hey, let's bring Frank in to, to help. And that naturally led me to, to working on various different technical areas of security, doing pen testing, assessments, code reviews, building out those corresponding teams, building out consulting teams. And over the years, that just naturally progressed into uh, additional responsibilities. You know, there's that saying that, uh, that uh, hey, what's the reward for doing a good job? Well, the reward is more work, right? And that's kind of that's kind of what happened. Wow. So, uh, what are some of the, the challenges that you see uh, startups or other companies that you've advised with regards to attracting and retaining talent and building that growth path for them from entry level into a senior or principal type individual? You know, from a security perspective, you know, what, what differentiates a security leader from an, any other leader in the organization, right? An HR leader, a finance leader, a, another a business unit leader. And it is that foundational cybersecurity knowledge, right? That is, the, that is a, a differentiator. However, as we progress in our careers, we need to keep in mind, well, hey, it's not just about implementing those technical capabilities. We've got to think about how does it support our business objectives, our different strategic objectives. For example, I was uh, you know, talking with a series CD startup um, that's doing really well and on a good path to growth. And one of the challenges that they have is, hey, how do they figure out, well, what is stage appropriate? What's the stage appropriate security investment that they would make? And um, I've, I've heard, I've seen some situations where the security leader in these types of organizations go in and say, hey, well, we need to buy a SIM because we need to improve our monitoring and detection capabilities. So we need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a SIM in terms of the people and technology. Well, the, the problem with that though, is that, well, that startup, while it might've gotten a lot of funding, it's working on building its revenue, building its customer base. And so that's one where, hey, I wouldn't probably necessarily jump straight to buying and implementing a SIM. Well, there's other things that are probably more stage appropriate like uh, sales enablement, like those some of those uh, certifications, third-party certifications that many people might think are a little bit more boring or mundane, but are big enablers of the, the business overall. So Chris, to your, to your question, I think the main thing is, hey, what are the one, two, or three things that are most important for the organization? Then we in security, we need to figure out how we can support those. I love that uh, business mission enablement because that's something that I talk to often. Like you have to have solid uh, people and processes because if you throw technology at it with a faulty foundation, the technology is going to fall and you're going to end up throwing more people at it and it'll just cost you a lot more money. Yeah. And, you know, the catch is we've always got to be adaptable. In, in, a, in a startup, hey, what's happening today is going to be different in six months or 12 months, assuming that the, the growth is going okay. Now, if you're in a more stable more mature enterprise, well, there are going to be different drivers there. And that's when you can, you know, think about kind of stabilizing and, and scaling up your team. So it really depends. And that's one hard thing that I've experienced as well is, hey, I can't just go in, you know, I've, I've had over the years, many different plans, roadmaps, blueprints, what technologies do we want to buy and enable and build out. And if we just take the blueprint for one house, proverbial house, if you will, and try to build it someplace else, 
it's not going to work because the landscape is different. The terrain is different. The climate is different. The business needs are different. So we can't, it's not just cookie cutter, right? We've got to go in and based on our experience, decipher what actually needs to be done. Wow. And then, and then from a um, recruiting perspective, how do you know when is the right time to say hire your first security engineer or your first security focused person to start building out that program versus um, just building your product and, and getting it to an MVP stage or later on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's from a security perspective, if we take a step back, there's kind of at a high level two different types of security teams that you can build. You can build a governance-focused security team. You can build a technology, technical, engineering-focused security team. Now, I think we know that, hey, we need both. But there are differences in terms of the area of focus. Generally speaking, right, a startup is going to always prefer to have an engineering-based security team. Now, does that mean that you're going to hire a dozen engineers, two dozen engineers, no, you're never going to have as many engineers that are on the SRE team, that are on the DevOps team. So really, you want to make sure that you hire those that key person that can understand, right? understands cloud, understands the new technology so that they can work with the, the DevOps team, the engineering team to um, ideally come up with solutions that the engineering team builds and owns on their own as well. So really, you're enabling, you're pushing out security to the different aspects of the organization. I've always said that as a security leader, I hope my job is to eventually put myself out of a job because we've built such an enduring culture and process that the rest of the organization can carry forth. I've seen situations where a, a CISO leaves, some of the key leaders leave, some of the key players leave, and all of a sudden the security team, the, the, pro, the capabilities kind of slowly start to disintegrate. And that's an indication that there wasn't a sustaining culture and process that was built up within the organization. So it's not just with engineering, it's with other areas. You know, large enterprises and startups, you've got this never ending uh, stream of these third party questionnaires, those vendor questionnaires, right, that you might get. And these are challenging, problematic to respond to. Every company seemingly wants you to fill out their specific questionnaire. Well, instead of getting overwhelmed by that, you've got to do things like figure out, hey, how do you templatize some of your responses, build the relationship with the sales team so the sales team doesn't just throw it over the wall and say, hey, security, Chris, you, you take care of this. Renee, please take care of this. Right? It's a partnership to meet the ultimate goal of growing the business overall. Frank, there's a comment here that I want to bring up. Will says that's possibly a key point there, Frank. The maturity of a cyber information security program needs to match the maturity of the organization in the wider context and starting with problems to be solved slash requirements rather than starting with solutions. Example, quote, we need a SIM. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a really well put. Which we've right? all heard so many times before. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The uh, you know I've got a I've got a friend who's the CISO at this uh, at this company, um, a fairly mature startup, and during the interview process, uh, they said, hey, you know what, we really want you to join as the CISO, but you know, hey, could you also uh, you know take on the CIO responsibilities? And you know he kind of didn't really think about it, and offhandedly he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, hey, this is a startup. How much IT work? Could there be, you know, we're a cloud first, you know, it's kind of all services, they support themselves, if you will. 
Well, when he joined, come to find out that, hey, what, how much of the work is the CIO work versus the CISO work? He was inundated with all of the IT work. So a key thing there is, hey, define your scope because I found that in small to large organizations, the maturity of security, as Will, you're pointing out, is highly dependent on the maturity of IT. If IT is not mature, well, we can't make as much progress as we would like from a security side as well. And then you talked about like kind of like a reporting relationship, CISO, IT, and I'm guessing in that case, he they're reporting directly to um, the CEO, but what are some of the prevalent uh, reporting patterns that you've seen, or have you seen the CISO rising to the top and reporting directly uh, to the CEO? Yeah, good, good question. You know, still the, the vast majority of, in the vast majority of enterprises, the CISO reports up to IT, up to the CIO. And, you know, there are different surveys with slightly differing numbers, but generally speaking, most of the surveys are about 50%. In 50% of large organizations, the CISO reports to the CIO. And we know that there's some natural conflicts there, right? That the CIO and IT has certain priorities in terms of kind of uh, uh, reliability and, and sustainability, whereas the CISO wants to get the vulnerabilities fixed. We see a natural tension, right, between the security teams and IT teams in terms of patching, things like that. Now, in smaller organizations, especially in startups, the vast majority of time, the security leader reports up to yeah, the CTO, right? Because the startup's main goal is to get new products and features to market as quick as possible, and security is an element of that. Now, as an organization matures, and depending, hey, if it's a post-breach environment or there's other business drivers, regulatory drivers, you might see the CISO report up through legal general counsel. You might see them report in some cases up directly to the CEO if the importance of security has been elevated up to that level for whatever reason. But, you know, I think that, hey, it's our job as a CISO, no matter where we report, to understand the pros and cons, the trade-offs, and then understand how to navigate within the organization to achieve those business objectives. If we can't do that, that's an indication that, hey, we as the security leader, we're probably thinking of things too much from a technical perspective and not as much the relationship, the people and the process perspective. Frank, a couple more questions or comments here. For Well, first, Sterling, I, I wanna shout out some people before we get into the question who, uh, from where they where they were calling for, or I guess listening in from, or watching from. So Roman is here from Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, Roman, um, and Sterling is here from watching from San Diego today. So that is exciting. So Sterling also has two comments here that I'd like to put up. Is there an in between governance and engineering, communicating security needs and ex executing both needs? Or is it more likely that this method is apparent in larger scale companies slash enterprises? I've seen in job descriptions where both are needed for either an analyst or an engineer slash RMF specialist. Um, there's no distinct split and it becomes the wearing of many hats as cybersecurity is those organizations from what I can tell, maybe this also relates to security maturity of the enterprise. Yeah, and you know, the way that I look at it, I, I like to try to simplify it, certainly every successful security team has both. You need both the governance activities and the, the technical activities, implementing and rolling out various capabilities. But you know, it's, we, we, want, we want to remind ourselves, what is the, the main thing? We don't want to deal with 20 different problems. 
what are the two or three, let's say, what are the three things that are the key things for the organization? In a startup, hey, that's typically going to be sales enablement and uh, achieving those third-party compliance certifications to meet customer demands. As the organization changes, six months, 12 months, right? If we go in as the security leader in, let's say, a startup, we need to understand that, hey, what we're responsible for now, the primary things are probably going to change in a year. Now, in a larger enterprise, well, then we need to understand, well, who are the different players? What's, uh, what, where is the center, where are the centers of gravity? And uh, figure out, okay, how much of the team do we need to spend on those governance activities versus building out the various technical capabilities? And even in a larger organization, I've seen if a security team is separate, and I've seen these be separate reporting up to, let's say, legal, when they're only focused on the governance activities, the engineering team, the technical teams, the IT teams, don't take them as seriously because they say, ah, those are just some paper pushers over there. So this is why we as security leaders need to balance both. I've talked to many friends, colleagues over the years as they were looking for their next CISO job, their first CISO job. And one of the things that every larger organization is going to be looking for is not only your technical skills, that's kind of table stakes to even be invited to the party. They're looking for, hey, have you worked in a highly regulated environment before? Have you worked with regulators? Have you helped to achieve these various compliance activities? And me starting as an engineer decades ago, early in my career, I thought, ah, those things are boring. I don't want to focus on those things. But as I progressed in my career, I realized how important those are from an overall business perspective and to be able to understand and execute on those aspects. And that was one of the questions that I had in my mind is um, the, the first line CISO versus the second line CISO when you think of the traditional lines of defense. Um, what are the pros and cons versus having a first line CISO that is only focused on, on the technology and business enablement, but then lacks the governance, um, risk and compliance aspect of it? And then, or just having a second line CISO that's kind of focused just on that governance, but then lacking on that growth and innovation. Yeah, great point in terms of those three lines of defense, right? Those first, second, and third. And typically, the third line of defense is internal audit. audit. And <laughs> in, <laughs> our friends, internal audit, right? But I've seen, you know, one of my clients, they had, a, this was a medium-sized financial organization, and they had the head of compliance, which was arguably the second line of defense. That person, it was the same person that was also the head of internal audit, the third line of defense. So a natural overlap and a conflict there. And the way that they explained that to the regulators, because the regulators came in and said, hey, this is not usual. They said, hey, given the stage of growth of our company, our size, where we are, we're growing rapidly. We have made the decision to purposely have those responsibilities be under one person. But as we grow, we know that we are going to make a change and, and split that out. Now, going back, Chris, to your point, between the first line and the second line, where the CISO might have responsibility for both, right? This is where, you know, some organizations, as they've matured, they've specifically said, you know, let's have that leader focus on what they're good at. Maybe the CISO is a little bit more technical. If so, great, build out those security operational capabilities. But you know what? Let's have a separate person, might be the chief information risk officer, chief risk officer, CSO, chief security officer, that takes on some more of those governance responsibilities. 
So it's really, hey, what's the, what are the organizational pain points and what are the pros and cons? And there's different ways to solve that. And I think we as security professionals, we kind of need to take a step back and say, hey, which situation am I in, right? And what would be most appropriate for the, the company? So the key question, the way to always frame this back is not what budget am I missing? What, how, how many more people do I need? Not more, what more tools do I need is always bring it back to, well, what's gonna help the company or not? And that will really help you in, in your career as you move forward. Wow, I love that summarization. <laughs> same here. Sterling says the same thing. This is a great help, Frank. I sure appreciate your response and comments. So thank you for that. Will says, Sterling, I tend to think of information cybersecurity assurance as one of those in-between functions, understanding the policy standards and frameworks from government, I'm sorry, governance, and translating these to tangible, quote, on the ground engineering projects and BAU business as usual activities. So I agree, Will. And then Ed is here from Corpus Christi, Texas. Hey, Ed. What's going on down in Corpus Christi, Texas? So um, this is such great conversation here. Um, you know, just describing all of the components and where things fit in, especially when it comes to um, you know, our audience, which tends to be folks that are trying to break in. Um, so I think this is enlightening for people to hear about the different components, you know, the leadership, the breakdown. And then what's interesting, I think, Frank, in your case, more so than uh, some of the folks that come on, is that you have the you have insight into the startup space, like heavy insight in that because you're doing advisory and then the bigger corporations as well. So seeing the maturity levels and where things lie, um, I think is invaluable. And, and to kind of target a question for our audience, um, what are some of the ways that individuals uh, from, say, different diverse backgrounds can now pivot into uh, cybersecurity from your perspective and use their transferable skills? Yeah, you know, one of the things I love about cyber is that I've seen and worked with many colleagues and friends over the years from very different um, uh, educations and backgrounds in terms of kind of, you know, hey, the social sciences, you know, you've got uh, history, psychology, sociology, political science, uh, philosophy, all the way up through all of the, the technical backgrounds as well. And I, I think it was Sterling here that mentioned that, that, hey, in cyber, we've got to wear many hats. And having these diverse backgrounds in terms of kind of, uh, education and, and personal history and backgrounds is super valuable in terms of rounding out your team overall. And, and Renee, you asked, you mentioned that a lot of the people that might be listening here are, hey, are looking into kind of what's their next opportunity? What's their next gig? What does the future hold? Is, do you want to get to a CISO role? Is it the next director role that is a, a, a stepping stone? And uh, really that gets back to kind of, Chris, what you just mentioned as well, in terms of what are your transferable skills? What are those fungible skills, because the, the next job, right, that's not the destination, right? Every job along the way on our personal journeys is part of the uh, part of the, the path. It's all a stepping stone, right? That next job is not the destination. No job is the, the destination. So it's just all about kind of investing in yourself. So I would take a step back and ask, hey, well, what's, what's your goal, right? If your goal is uh, that CISO role or that senior leadership role, then you might want to break that down further and say, okay, in what industry, 
right? Is it going to be in financial? Is it going to be in healthcare? Is it going to be in a startup? You know, you also might want to think about it from a, hey, I want to work at a, a cloud first company because that's where the industry and that momentum overall is going. And, uh, you know, learn those foundational skills in terms of cloud security to be able to talk to the uh, engineers, the head of engineering, the director of engineering, and so on. Um, so, yeah. We know in terms of asking, hey, what don't you have, right? I would also think about it in terms of, well, what's not going to change? What's not going to change forever is communication skills, the relationship skills, understanding those business connections that we were talking about. And arguably what's not going to change for the next 10 or 20 years too is the, the focus on cloud. So, you know, hey, if we think about what's not going to change, right? Try to invest in those and then find the maybe gaps in experience that you don't have. Every senior role, people are gonna be looking for, well, what did you do from a compliance perspective? What did you do from a third party certification perspective? And how did you, how'd you lead that? So yeah, I would take a step back and kind of put together your own personal action plan, do your own personal SWOT analysis, right? And say, okay, well, what's that next stepping stone that you wanna jump onto? I, I love that. Well, two things. I love it because when I talk to candidates, that's almost like verbatim what I talk to them about. Like, how is this your, you know, when you're evaluating roles, especially right now when it's such a candidate's market, which I happen to love um, for, for the first time in a very long time, you know, it's flipped around a little bit. So candidates are really can make the decision and have multiple offers. And so the question is always like, how is this role going to get you to your destination? So I absolutely love what you, um, the comment that you made there. And um, Laura says, quote, no job is the destination. That's definitely going on vinyl lettering in the office. Awesome. (laughs) It's totally, totally it. It's like getting to the destination. What's the end goal here? So I I love it. Nice. And, uh, you know, years ago, I was interviewing for a CISO position. And uh, they, they offered it to me, but you know, there was just something in my gut that I was like, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. And it was more about the, the, what I thought the relationship might be with that person that I would be reporting to. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And I decided to pass on that particular opportunity. So, you know, a lot of times we think about kind of compensation. We might think about the commute. We might think about some of these hygiene factors, right? And, uh, you know, if so, if that's the current priority, you got to know going in that, hey, you know, that might not last, you know, maybe you'll do it for a year. But, uh, but, you know, what's more important are those long lasting factors in terms of, hey, are the people that you're working with going to support you? Are you in the role for the right reasons? And are you going to be able to have that good working relationship? Now we do see, hey, the, the various surveys have been done. What's the average CISO tenure, right? What, 18 months? 24 months. Part of it is because, as Renee, you said, there are so many opportunities out there. Explosion in CISO roles, senior level roles over the last handful of years. But it's okay in terms of it being that that stepping stone. But really, yeah, you know, making that plan and thinking, hey, what are you going to get out of that particular role? I've been in situations where, you know, it wasn't the best company or it wasn't the best environment. So I always try to remind myself, okay, well, what is that fungible skill and experience that I'm learning, even in this challenging situation that I could take and, and bring someplace else. As a coach, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Chris. 
I was going to say, as a coach, that's one of the things that I, I remind um, my clients is that find a way to tell a story from your past about what you learned from it, because it might have been a horrible experience, but at least you learned something from it. Like you learn compliance, you learn to work with uh, executives and individuals at the C-level. You learn to do those presentations. What did you learn from it to make that an experience worth telling versus, oh, that it was a horrible culture and I, I left because the commute was too long. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yes, and the, the thing is, I think that out of those challenging situations, you get, it makes you stronger. It makes you better, more resilient. Um, you know, better able to tackle bigger problems because pop companies hire you because they have a problem they're trying, trying to solve. So when you get into, you know, sometimes these situations that are just super challenging and you're able to overcome them and come out on the other side, a better person, you know, um, when you take the knocks, it just makes you stronger. It makes you more adaptable and more, um, more ready to take on the next big challenge because especially in security and in all these fields, this is all we're dealing with. I mean, right now, from a recruiting perspective, we're seeing things that we haven't seen in our, in my recruiting career. I'm seeing some things that I haven't seen before. So it's just like, okay, how can you be resilient? How can you, you know, um, get over some of the things that are happening that may not have happened like three, four or five years ago and some people who haven't faced candidates with multiple offers or, you know, being turned down for positions and, or being as a, from a, a hiring manager perspective, being turned down, you know, people don't want your job. And so you're confused because people always want, you know, like it's, it's so different. It's a different dynamic and kind of seeing that um, just, you know, b because I, for example, had been through these types of situations where people turn down jobs over and over again until you finally, you know, you have to keep plugging away until you fill it. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's different. And having been through challenging situations before, it make me more or easily, not, I won't say easily, but um, it's easier to deal with now. So, you know, translating it over to security and that would be a transferable skill for someone. So if you're thinking, if you're watching this show and you're thinking, oh, I've overcome something as in a different um, environment or a different situation, how can I use that for security? These are the types of stories that you can. So Roman makes a point, resilience and the ability to rebuild oneself, especially facing crisis are absolutely priceless attributes. It's absolutely right. That's why we have so many veterans in security. Like, <laughs> if no, if anyone knows how to be resilient and rebuild oneself, you have been in the military. I haven't, but that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Hey, Renee, you mentioned a lot of great points and, you know, reminded me of something where over the years, there have been times where some people on my team, you know, you have those regular conversations of, you know, hey, what do you want? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in three years, five years and so on? And sometimes people say, well, Frank, hey, I want your job. And I say, well, hey, that's great, right? Let's, let's talk about that. Let's figure out, you know, hey, what, what that would take. Because to be honest, if I'm doing the same job in five years, right, exact same job, then I'm probably not growing. If that person's doing the exact same job in five years, they're not growing as well. And, uh, you know, having been doing this for quite a long time, looking back, what's most rewarding, I think we would all say, is looking back and seeing, hey, people that maybe you worked with or 
directly that were on your team you work for or you know that you inadvertently touched that uh, that hey they've gone on to other things right and having some small part in that overall now there's a there's a book called the uh, the go giver right and it's a very good read and I have to remind myself challenge myself to try to incorporate those things in my daily life but the point of that book the go giver is really you know to sum it up is hey how do you provide value to others how can you help others without looking for necessarily anything in return right and that over time right that builds up that karma that goodwill that hey that's going to come back in in spades even without us knowing about it or even even explicitly That's one of the amazing things that I love about this podcast. I mean, we've been doing it for over three and a half years now. And to see some of the first guests that we had and how their career has evolved over the past three years and the the different routes they took and um, just where they are now, like we weren't responsible for that. But seeing that growth, getting that connection with them and following their careers just has been amazing. I agree with that. I think that um, we watching the growth is so important for people who not not only for us seeing it is um, is exciting and watching folks grow is exciting, but for the people who are now coming in looking to break into the industry to see that you know this person who had zero experience three years ago. And now they're a leader, they're a manager, you know, like, and they've, they've made these pivots and they've grown in their career and folks that were just, you know, interns and students who are now, you know, well on their way into their, their cybersecurity professionals. Now they have experience, they're taking other people under their wings. It's just really, really great to see, to see the evolution. It's nice. Frank, one of the questions that I have for for you is like, what could we do to increase that that future pipeline? I mean, oftentimes individuals have decided what they want to do for their career by the time they got to college, by the time they're done with high school. H- how can we increase the awareness of cybersecurity as a potential career while still aware, uh, giving cyber awareness to students in high school and potentially even younger? Man, well, you know, hey, first off, the uh, maybe people today are more prepared than I was, but I had no idea what I wanted to do after high school. I was like a month away from graduating from college, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so it, for me, it just kind of naturally evolved, right, in terms of getting involved in technology and, and security. Um, you know, I think to your point, though, it's really pushing some of this uh, these activities, whether they be challenges and opportunities to um, to people earlier to see, to help foster some of that, uh, I'll just call it maybe the, the hacker mindset, if you will, that mindset where you want, you got that curiosity, right? Security is all about that curiosity. How are things supposed to work and how do they not work? And opening up some of that curriculum to um, colleges, to high schools, to people even, even younger than that in terms of various uh, challenges and events that you might have. You know, my... Uh, I was uh, I was so proud. My uh, my daughter, one of my daughters, um, she's uh, 11, and she came up to me and she had written on her whiteboard. She created this very basic cipher, right, and had encrypted uh, a message, right, and that was very cool. And I shouldn't have been surprised because you know on their devices we have screen time protection so that they can't you know go over a certain number of hours. But she's successfully brute forced guessed the screen time password, and she has uh, successfully. 
um, tricked us into um, entering the screen time password while she was doing a screen recording, right? So she was doing surveillance on us, right, to get to what she wanted to achieve. So I think it's things things like that, right, are good indications. And uh, total I guess, security professional, <laughs> get her yeah, a job today. <laughs> Like, like society has evolved to where um, a lot of the things that were, quote unquote, um, not protected, no laws, no, no, nothing, no guidelines um, when you and I were younger to now where they're, they're starting to become laws and regulations. How do we provide that younger generation with a, a playground to explore while still keeping them um, within the legal confines of uh, what's acceptable? but still the ability to have that hacker mindset. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, different countries have different, differing levels of rigor around some of those laws in terms of uh, restricting access to, to hacking tools and, and so on. Definitely being in security, right? I mean, you know, hey, we've got a, there's some clear lines that you don't want to cross in terms of targeting companies, systems that are, that are on the web. Well, good news is that there are a ton of free tools out there Right? There's a ton of different free systems, purposely vulnerable applications that you can learn to understand how security works and, and doesn't work on these various systems. So I think, you know, hey, if you're just getting started, really just downloading, playing with some of those tools, getting familiar, meeting people in the community and kind of learning from them. It's yeah, those those types of things are are a ton of opportunities compared to even when I started some some years ago. It's just amazing how much stuff there is out there now. Agreed. Everyone's laughing at your daughter. So Lars says, amen. That was back when you were telling the story about your daughter. And her boy said, it's brilliant. How old? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she did that when she was uh, 10. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 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 And, and then, like, providing a curriculum, um, do you see that organizations are reaching back to those schools, reaching back to um, some of the different educational systems to provide extra guidance on how to develop those cyber curriculums so that they could create that, themselves that talent pipeline once they do graduate from schools? You know, er, um, the uh, earlier we were talking about um, kind of some of this some of this education and in terms of the, uh, the pipeline, right, we, we mentioned earlier how Different people have come to cyber from different backgrounds. But now in the last, I don't know, handful of years, we have seen a rise in kind of standardized degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees in cyber. And these are certainly great things. And, you know, I think that this is an indication of how the, the landscape is maturing. If you asked a, a university 15, 20 years ago, right, hey, where's your program on cyber? There were very few that actually had that in place. Now, almost every university institution has uh, something like that. So I think this is an indication that, yeah, this is slowly right being pushed back earlier and earlier, whether it be from a master's to a bachelor's now, certain things even in, uh, in, uh, in high school. And, uh, you know, back to my daughter, you know, she's in Girl Scouts as well. And there's, you know, you get the different badges as a scout and there are technology badges and there are cyber badges now. So they're being introduced to this at a very young level, but right, it, it, start, it takes time. It takes time to build a snowball. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I, I remember when Girl Scouts um, talked about the partnership or talked about um, getting the cybersecurity badges and getting um, more young girls, uh, making them more aware of security, which is awesome. 
So Will says, um, Sterling, <laughs> Sterling says she's a genius. Will says that means you, both you and Chris have raised little hackers. <laughs> and she, and he said, quote, daddy, I may have accidentally reached NASA. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love these kids. Yeah. Uh, Frank, like thinking about like the various different perspectives that we could take to come into to cyber with regards to uh, formal education, uh, training from like boot camps and other certifications and self-learning. Uh, where do you see that balance to provide uh, the optimal background for a, a future employer? Yeah, good, good question. You know, there's um, there's what what is referred to as kind of the three E's of learning, right? How do, how do we learn? How do we learn new things, right? There's education, there's exposure, and there's experience. And as a person that's done a lot of hiring, you know, I tend to personally favor uh, experience. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm looking for experience with that tool. Did you use tool X or Y? It's more, what's that transferable experience? What's those analytical skills, that type of thinking that indicates that you've done, got that experience to be able to be successful in another role. Now, certainly structured learning, whether it be a, a university degree, whether it be a formal class, those are helpful as well, you know, also to consolidate and kind of crystallize your, your learning and kind of ramp up quickly, right? Ramp up quickly on a particular domain. Over the years, I've gotten a number of certifications. Uh, for me, it's not so much just about getting the certification, the letters next to a name, it's more the process of studying for that certification and going through that has helped ingrain that information in my mind. And so it's just, you know, that's a, to me, that's a side effect, right? Getting a degree, getting a certification, getting those letters is a, is a side effect of the, the, the process of learning along the way. So I'm always looking for ways to try to, hey, how do we expose people to the right opportunity, kind of job rotation, team sharing? How do you get uh, the right experience, right? Giving them opportunities to try things, but then, you know, that, that education as well to kind of accelerate and, and jumpstart, bootstrap some of that, uh, some of that knowledge as well. Um, you made a comment about experience, um, how you typically would look for that first, um, which is aligned with almost every hiring manager that I've spoken with. Um, and it makes perfect sense. So can't, you know, the candidates, again, when we talk about the folks, the audience of breaking in, what that means. So I um, appreciate you kind of going into the, a deep dive or more, um, a clearer picture of, okay, like experiences first, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean experience in this particular tool or experience in this particular thing, because one, it changes so often, and two, how would you even have that experience if you are new to the industry and new to the field? So that's something that I know comes up often, especially with, we see these job descriptions and they ask for you know every tool under the sun. And it's just like, how in the world would anyone have known all of this if they're just, they're brand spanking? How would anyone know this, if, even if they have been around for a significant amount of time? So um, some a good couple, good couple of comments are in here right now. Um, this person says, on the topic of surveillance and all of us track 24-7 on our smartphones, can you talk about implications to privacy and security? As a startup in that space, we are trying to grow that awareness. Yeah, great question. You know, huge area, you know, with a focus on the security side, right? Those are kind of controls around 
protecting, securing um, our data and systems. Now the privacy side, right? A lot of that is really about giving our users the choice, right? So we've got a little Venn diagram here, if you can conceptualize, you know, hey, we've got our privacy policy, we've got uh, the right to be forgotten and those things, but where privacy and security overlap in the middle here is things like access control, things like authorization, things like data encryption, protection, and so on, data minimization. And to your point, you know, it sounds like you're a, as a startup in that space, well, where is this going? As we've seen, security is getting more and more automated and privacy in terms of our compliance and audits and so on. Well, ideally we're getting to a space where we can piggyback on some of that automation where we've got continuous compliance. Instead of it being a once a month, once a quarter, once a year, checkbox type of event, hey, now we've got to think about how do we build privacy in to the process overall in terms of privacy engineering. Now, who knows what the future holds, but I think that, hey, there's an opportunity here from a privacy perspective that, hey, there's a little bit more of tools that are that have uh, this paved road that they will enable us to build privacy in, into our activities uh, going forward. And, and to add to that topic, I would say, uh for companies to think about what was the use case that you gathered the data for? Um, what was the permission that you got to use the data for? And then how can you consider that in future decision-making? So if it was okay for marketing, was it okay just for marketing for a year, for two years, for three years? Or is it okay for marketing and to share with all of your partners? Like think about those use cases as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah, the consent, right? What are the use cases? So Roman asks, SANS curriculum is amazing, prohibitively expensive for some of us without our employee support because he's not yet in the field, but amazing indeed. So um, Frank, can you that. talk about some of the, I know there's some scholarships, there's different programs. So you, I, I, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know SANS yeah. does provide a couple of options for folks if you do, do not have um, company support. Yeah, appreciate appreciate that feedback. The uh, you know there is a, a URL. It's sands.org/free, and if you go there, there's well, as you can imagine, a bunch of free resources, free community resources. So we've got white papers and blogs and posters and webcasts, YouTube channels with tons of free content uh, available on them. You know, I had a, a guy reach out, a student reach out, and say, "Hey, you know, I got my I got a new job in cloud security," and he kind of said that, hey, one of the reasons is I devoured all of the free resources that you guys had available, and that really helped in my interviews and helped in the conversation. So definitely a lot of stuff at sans.org slash free. And uh, earlier, Chris was mentioning um, this summit, you know, the leadership summit that we had. And that's just one example of one of the summits that we've got throughout the year. And these summits, from a virtual perspective, are all free to attend. And so you get, you know, one or two, depending on how long the summit is, days of content from different industry experts talking about their lessons learned as well. So separate from all of the classes, which of course, hey, we'd love to see you in the classes, but we try to offer the community a lot of free resources as well. And, and to add to that, I, I really love that uh, SANS has developed a, a bachelor's and a master's offering as well. Mm -hmm. So for those going through the traditional education track, now you can compare um, combine uh, those two offerings into one. Exactly. So I just wanted to um, 
spell out or share the resources. So sands.org forward slash free. And then we have sands.org forward slash security dash resources. So and it redirects. <laughs> it redirects to free. Uh, no, it redirects from free to this from one. Free. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So sans.org slash free. That's the place to go. Roman says amazing. Um, I know there used to be scholarships and things like that as well. So I'm Oh yeah, sorry, I forgot about the second part of your question. Yeah. So we've got different uh, academies. So like for example, a, a vet success academy. And that's for, uh, well, you know, as the name implies, uh, people that are transitioning out of military service and wanting to get into cybersecurity. So there are programs for those individuals. We've got a women's academy for uh, women wanting to get into the field, diversity academy, and various diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives. So there are definitely those uh, opportunities that are uh, available uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of those different academies and programs that we have. And I know we're approaching uh, the top of the hour. If you had to summarize um, everything we've talked about into one piece of sage advice for someone looking to break into the field, how would you do that? I would say, hey, th think, you know, think about your goal. You know, hey, where do you want to get to? And to be honest, that's a little bit hard. If I reflect back on my career, there are definitely times, years in my career where I didn't necessarily know. So it doesn't mean that you're going to come up with the answer tomorrow, but take a step back and think, well, hey, what's my, what's my goal? Where do I want to be? What do I want to focus on? What type of people do I want to work with? And then you can start to look at what are those potential stepping stones. And usually you jump onto one stone that opens up other opportunities. You know, Steve Jobs in his famous commencement address at Stanford said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backward. So really take that one step, kind of go all in on that, learn as much as you can, and that's gonna open up even more opportunities. Well, I, I love that. That, that self-discovery aspect is absolutely essential. And I, I know for those that I help with that self-discovery, there is a really cool uh, NIST workforce framework that kind of breaks out um, some of those different roles for individuals looking to that. And that could be one resource to kind of help with that self-discovery. Yeah, I agree. I think that's so so true. It's it's uh, the point made about looking back. You see that you can connect the dots looking back, looking forward. When you take that first job, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know where it's going <laughs> to land you. <laughs> you don't know where it's going to land you. So that is awesome. Uh, I'm going to make a couple. I'm going to read a couple of comments. Um, Frank, you don't have to dig deep into these questions right now. I just want to read the comments while we're here. And then um, because we are very close to the top of the hour. So Roy said, I think just as we started really getting computers to take over our daily lives and everything and how every job requires some level of computer training starting in elementary school, the same will be true with cybersecurity in the near future. It's going to probably be introduced in elementary schools, basically give kids the basics and then identify those that want to keep pursuing the advanced stuff. I think it'll start in school with kids and it'll be a part of everyone's day. Uh, did he finish down here? It ran out of space. <laughs> everyone's day, I think I never, oh, yeah, he went out Yeah, of that's space. a different one. But I agree. I agree with Roy. Um, and then Roman talks about he's working on creating a solid home lab to gain experience and weighing the pros and cons between formal education and certs. Thanks for your input on that question. Um. 
Sterling, how would you show those transferable skills on a resume? That's a great point. You can train up on any tool or environment. I know a lot of this comes up in conversation or an interview. I think that's a constant battle like Renee mentioned. So. Yeah, that, yeah, I'll just chime in real quick on that one. You know, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, so, hey, there might, you might want one or two certifications on your resume just to get past that initial HR screen, for mm -hmm. example. But then in terms of this, you know, a lot of it is uh, you're building your personal brand and building your network. A lot of jobs, especially as you progress in your career, aren't going to come from applying online. They're going to come from some referral or somebody that, that you know. And really just kind of getting out there, because as you do that, then you're going to learn from other people as well. And you're going to get a sense of, well, what's needed? What, what are the problems they're having? What are they looking for? So I would couple, couple this in terms of your resume and your, your education, your experience, and couple that with the, the networking, right? Really try to get out there, whether that be in person or whether that be on LinkedIn or social media, commenting on other people's posts, right? In terms of what your thoughts are and your insights into what they're talking about. So, so true. Thank you so much for that. I'm, I, they'll take it hearing from you. <laughs> we say it every week. <laughs> you, they'll, take, they'll take that information coming from you. Hopefully, net building that network is so key because resumes, they are going to go through an HR filter. I'm on the other side of HR. If I'm looking for a role and I'm not seeing what I need in that position, most likely just not even going to hit my radar. So you definitely want to network and anyone breaking in, I always say networking should be number one, like obviously getting your baseline education. Yes. But number two is not submitting resumes. It is purely having people know, oh, Chris is great. Oh, Roman, I know him. I know he was working at, he was studying this. He's been in my chats. He's been a part, he's been responding. He seems insightful. Let me see what's going on with him, you know? Same thing, Sterling, Wilt, same, you know, it's the same thing each time. So, Frank, any final words? I know you did your final words, but anything else before we jump? <laughs> hey, Chris, Renee, appreciate the opportunity here. Thank everybody online here for all of the questions. Great conversation. And, uh, yeah, everybody look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for, having, for, for coming on here. This was amazing. Everyone, see you all next week. See you so Thursdays. Thursdays, it's, oh, wait, are we here next week? It's Thanksgiving, no. right? We'll be taking Thanksgiving off. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> See you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.